Well, welcome to the Kyperion Commentary Podcast. This is episode 113, and I have with me today uh, Pastor Adam McIntosh, who's the pastor of St. David's Reformed Church in Houston, Texas. And the topic we're going to be talking about today is a one that has been growing in interest for many people over the last few years. There's a trend uh, in a lot of Reformed circles toward head coverings in worship. And so we want to talk about that today because Adam has written a series of articles for Kyperion.com uh, about the current head covering movement. It's something that people are interested in, and we want to talk about it. So Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Rick. So I want to just start by reading uh, the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and then I'll just have you uh, sort of comment on it. Uh, the the contention is often that First uh, Corinthians 11 very clearly lays out the requirement that women wear head coverings or wives wear head coverings in worship, in church, and that it's rooted not in culture, but in creation order itself. So let me just read that, and I'll turn it over to you and let you just talk a little bit about the exegesis there, and we can go back and forth about it. Uh, Paul says... Um, Starting in verse 3, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man, praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head was shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But it is, if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from the woman, but woman from man, nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. So it sounds very much like that's just saying this is part of the created order. Because of the way men and women are created, a woman needs to have a covering for her head. Uh, what would you say about that? Well, about that specific question immediately, um, you're, you're going to run into some problems uh, pretty quickly because we don't see any command like this anywhere else in the Bible. Uh, we don't see it anywhere in the Old Covenant. Now, there are examples of people wearing head coverings, uh, even women or wearing veils uh, at times, but they're never given as commands. Uh, it's just descriptive, right? Uh, there is one command in the Old Covenant for head covering, uh, and that was for men. <laughs> the The priest was to wear a turban. Um, and so that's the only commanded head covering we see uh, in, in the Bible up to this point. So you have to factor that in. If this was a creational command, if this goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, let's say, right? Um, what, 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 where's the evidence for that? What, why is it not uh, listed in scripture as a law of God? Um, the other creational ordinances are, right? They, they are specifically laid out for us. Uh, we don't have to do guesswork on them. Right. Um, he tells us very plainly what is required. Uh, and so uh, I think it, 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 it's, it's an impossible position to hold that, oh, this was some long-standing creational position uh, that Paul is just reminding 
um, the Corinthians about, or maybe teaching them, you know, but um, it, to me, it seems, no, this is something new for the new covenant. Okay. This is, this has to be something different. Whatever he's trying to say here has to do with something about a change that took place in the new covenant. Well, and to, to support that a little bit extra biblically, and in some of my reading, I, I went through and read a bunch of different commentaries on this particular passage. Uh, and most commentators, um, even pre-20th century commentators, uh, point out that, I guess, historically in Jewish synagogues, men had their heads covered and women had their heads uncovered in the mm. synagogues and in the temple at Jerusalem. So just the opposite of what Paul is saying, it seems. Have right. you run into that, and, or is that something you've seen? Well, you know, I don't put a lot of stock in a, in the extra biblical sources. I mean, I think they are helpful and they're interesting. And so, yes, I I wouldn't uh, contend uh, that mm -hmm. that's what the Jews <clears throat> did. Uh, in fact, one uh, Christian commentator and and um, which one is escaping me at the moment, but but one of them that I had read, he was trying to argue that um, Paul here saying that the man should be uncovered. Uh, was for the purpose of distinguishing Christians from Jews. Hmm. Interesting. Like if, if he he thought you know if a if a man had his head covered he was basically Judaizing. Uh, uh, <laughs> it seems like a lot to read into the passage. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but... Yeah. Well, and that's and that's the biggest thing <clears throat> here. Um, you know, uh, I, I like in my um, in my blog series I try to focus starting off on the fact that this is a very difficult passage um, and head covers will scoff at that. Um, but it, it's true. And I'm not saying it as a cop out, right? Um, if, if Peter himself could affirm that, that many of Paul's teachings were very difficult, <laughs> then, then certainly we can do that. And we just need to be honest with the text. Right. And so my goal is not so much to give like the definitive interpretation uh, I actually think the burden of proof is on the one who says, oh, no, it is an ongoing command, and here's how you do it. You know, I think the burden of proof is on the head coverer to prove that. Um, it's not the burden of proof of ours. Uh, we can look at it and go, this is very difficult. It's not certain. I do think there are a few valid interpretations you could choose, Um but the outcome of those valid options are that it's not an ongoing command. Right. Well, let's look at some of those interpretations, because uh, if we're talking about this as a new covenant ordinance, something that must be done in the new covenant, we're still in the new covenant. So someone could make an argument that this right. is still in force. We're the new covenant people of God. Uh, so it says, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Why would that not apply to women in church today? Yes, and this is actually one of the, the most important questions that you have to ask about the text as you're doing the exegesis. Um, you know, he doesn't say that uh, she should wear uh, a covering all the time, right? What does he say? When she prays or prophesies. And so you really have to wrestle with that phrase. What does he mean by praying and prophesying? Um, I have fallen on the position that uh, he is talking about charismatic sign gifts. Uh, now, again, I, I admit the difficulty that you cannot prove that uh, with 100% certainty, right? right. Um, 
every theory on this passage relies on outside assumptions being being put in. And so I'm I'm admitting that. Um, but the the concept of it just being regular prayer, uh, which is what a lot of head covers say, uh, to me that leads to absurdity, because that would mean that the the woman would have to wear the covering not just in corporate worship, but all the time. Because can't right. you pray anywhere? Can't you pray at any time, not just vocally, but in your mind, right? In the right. bed, in the shower, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, there's all types of scenarios uh, where that just is absurd. And uh, we, we don't have any basis to say that that is something God requires uh, from women today. And so to me, that's a that's the first indicator that that that's not a biblical assumption to be assuming. And then, you know, when you when you look uh, not not far ahead in First Corinthians, but chapters 12, 13 and 14, he really is dealing with the issue of spiritual gifts. And he he then is also talking about prophesying and praying in tongues. Right. Uh, and so there's at least a, a very strong, you know, exegetical case to be made um, that he's using this phrase uh, as a indicator a signifier of the charismatic gifts that were uh, unique. Uh, there was prophecy in the old covenant, but we don't have any record of speaking in tongues. Right. That was new to the new covenant. That was new, uh, you know, after on Pentecost and, and after. So um, that is kind of where I have leaned mm -hmm. in, in my direction. And so then the question is, well, do we still believe that those charismatic gifts are ongoing today, right? Um, right? If you if you are a charismatic and that is your position, well, to be consistent, you probably need to keep a a, a covering nearby uh, for your women. Yeah, just <laughs> in case, right? You know, <laughs> if they're standing up in the worship service, uh, giving giving uh, prophecies or praying in tongues. Um, however, in our circles, uh, you know, broadly reformed uh, circles. Um, we're more on the, um, you know, moderately cessationist side of things where, uh, of course, God can still do whatever he wants. And, and he's still a supernatural God who can move, you know, uh, don't want to put God in a box whatsoever. But I think it's just a fact and a reality that those types of gifts are not normative anymore uh, for the for the uh, grow growing and maturing church throughout the world, right? Even in the Bible, we see that these things fade away. Right. Um, whenever there's a new work of God, it's accompanied with signs and miracles, and then they slowly taper off. Hmm. Um, and so I think that's the situation we have found ourselves, at least in, um, you know, the majority of Western civilization, uh, the Western church, uh, and things of that nature. And so if, if you fall on that side, if you say, well, charismatic gifts are not normative anymore, well, then guess what? This whole teaching is no longer directly relevant anymore. Right. Um, I think I'm, I'm on the same page with you as far as that goes. Uh, and even some things like, you know, he says praise or prophesize. If the prayer is just ordinary prayer or prophesize is redundant, he wouldn't need to say it because women would already be wearing a head covering in church because they're going to pray. So why does he need that's to right. say, or, oh, that's a great point. Or prophesize. Yeah, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. That's so, really good. <laughs> so, you know, some of these things you see are, are indicating that this is something special happening, uh, going on 
Bingo. in the early church. Now, you might have someone say, though, and I want to kind of shift gears a little bit here, that, okay, that may be a case you can make, but doesn't it stand in the face of everything that's gone before us in Christian history? You know, some of us have grannies who wore hats in church because every woman wore hats in church up until, say, the 1960s or so. And you can see pictures of women wearing various kinds of head coverings uh, in paintings and art all the way back through. Wasn't it sort of the universal teaching of basically all Christians everywhere up until the very recent times that women ought to cover their heads in church? Well, this is a very interesting um, uh, part of the debate, and it's actually one that I found that a lot of head covers will focus on more so than they actually do uh, the biblical aspect of it. Um, so, yeah, the claim is, is that, well, this is what all Christians did up until the, our modern time. Um, and so a lot of head covers believe that they are recovering, um, you know, traditional conservative uh, values. Um you know, one thing that's interesting is is a lot of head covers will say, well, the reason we do this is, you know, to show submission to our husbands, uh, to be modest, mm-hmm. uh, and to kind of fight against feminism, right? Uh, but, but none of those things are in the passage. Right. None of those things are in 1 Corinthians 11. He says it's because of the angels. Uh, so then you got Not because of the husbands. Exactly. She needs a symbol of authority because of her husband. It's not it doesn't there. say that. Right. Okay. And so then you've got to wrestle with, well, okay, okay, that's the reason. What does that mean? What what does because of the angels mean? But yeah, you do see a lot of people uh relying on history. Um, and it is true. Uh we don't have to deny uh the, the history. Yes, it was very common for women throughout history to wear coverings. Uh, but this claim is actually somewhat misleading because it obscures. Uh, the full truth, uh, and that is, is that everyone wore coverings, right? Not just women; uh, <laughs> men wore coverings as well. And um, uh, you see this even into the early 1900s, you know, in like American society and stuff. Um, and really, uh, from the research I've done, women uh, stopping that practice and men stopping that practice essentially occurred uh, around the same time together. Um, and, uh, it doesn't make sense to me that, you know, it was all because of feminism, right? That's not why the men would have stopped, right? They, they would have stopped for other reasons. And, uh, there's actually some, uh, even YouTube videos you can look up of people exploring this question. Why did people stop wearing hats? Um, and, and they point to lots of different factors, you know, but just, you know, modern innovation, modern innovations, um, you know, uh, indoor plumbing, uh, indoor air, hair products, right. uh, you know, all these things uh, that were changing in society and becoming more common in every household uh, now would make wearing a covering not as important and not as necessary. So, you know, it can't be the case that, oh, this is all because of 1 Corinthians 11. Right. And I think you can demonstrate that because, again, we do see head covering even in the old covenant as a description, right? People were wearing coverings, even men, you know, way before Mm. Paul wrote first Corinthians 11. Yeah. And this was a a worldwide thing, not just by Jews, not just by Christians. Um, And so it doesn't make sense to say that, you know, Oh, well, the reason this happened in society was because of Paul in first Corinthians 11. 
Uh, I do think it's the case, however, that when you're in a society that practices that, right, it, you're used to it. It's all you know. Well, obviously, when you read a passage like 1 Corinthians 11, what are you going to read into the passage? You're going to read in read your historical in. Uh, context, yeah. right? And so I think people would have made that connection, but it wasn't because of actual, uh, you know, proper exegesis. Yeah, uh, It was more starting with culture, reading it back into the Bible, rather than starting with the Bible to determine culture. Well, you know, even thinking about that, um, men wearing head coverings, I think, is a, a big thing to consider in light of this, because if First Corinthians 11 is normative, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, then it's also normative that every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, right? <laughs> uh, and our family was watching the movie Cromwell yesterday. I'd never seen it before, but there's a great scene where you have all the Puritans in church and the women all have their head coverings and the men are all wearing their hats in church while the Bible's being read, which was yes. the practice at the time. And they didn't think they were Absolutely. violating first Corinthians 11. Um, and Absolutely. also just, uh, you know, a few things for uh, listeners to check out. You can check out a lot of these old commentaries for free online, but John Calvin in this passage, uh, when he exegetes it, makes a defense of himself wearing his hat while he preached. <laughs> because he said his head got cold. Uh, uh, Matthew Poole, who's a, one of the renowned Puritan commentators, uh, basically says this passage says nothing today about whether women should wear head coverings regularly or not. You would have to find that from other passages or from culture because you can't find the depth of that in this passage. And even right. Matthew Henry says, you know, in his day, if a man were to come to church with his head uncovered, it would be a dishonor to him. Because in his culture, he recognized that uncovered head is dishonor. So he's saying in Paul's time, you know, this was a particular symbol, but in our day, it's different. Uh, so I think, you know, people who say women have to cover, and everyone's always believed that, at least have to deal with the fact that in the past, people believed that men could cover, and that's not violating 1 Corinthians 11 at all. So. Exactly. And you you bring up a great point, because this is this is one of the things that you know, as strong as the historical argument is for the head covering movement, um, I do think it's very important for people to realize uh, that, you know, at least starting uh, in the Reformation period forward, you know, we've got the earliest I found was uh, uh, Zwingli in about 1529, even Zwingli saying that this is not, um, you know, uh, an established law for all times. Right. Um, you know, then you've got the Lutherans saying, OK, yeah, you know, it's good for good order, but it's not a matter of sin, not something for women to be burdened by uh, things of that nature. But then all the guys you mentioned, um, you know, as well as others, Francis Turretin uh, is one uh, Westminster divines uh, were others. Um, and so we see these examples in the 1600s. Right. Mm, right. Uh, of, of guys saying, OK. This is not an ongoing command because the customs have already changed. Uh, we don't we don't even follow this anymore, and we don't view this as an apostolic command for women for all times. And right. so, I don't think head covers um, portray that history. I, at least, I've not seen and you know a, a balanced portrayal of that history from the head covering side. What you usually hear is kind of the exaggerated claim. Uh, oh, this is what everyone did. Everyone believed. Um, 
you know, and actually that's not the case. Right. Uh, now, did some of those people still still practice head covering for women? Sure, because it was part right. of the culture. Uh, <laughs> but 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 again, they were saying, hey, these customs can change. And right. so once they change, uh, that's not a problem, right? It's not a matter of sin. It's not a matter of a command. And in fact, a very important point is when customs have changed in a society, it can actually be disrespectful and rebellious to try to bring it back. Mm. And I think that's where we get into the dangers, the potential dangers of trying to bring this custom back. Uh, in our churches today is that it can bring about division um, and sectarianism and, and things like that. Right. Um, I'd like to talk about reasons for just a, a little bit here. We have 10 minutes left in our time together. And um, so one of the things I want to talk about is we've got this history, often not portrayed, but that was one of my favorite parts about your article, by the way, is bringing up the uh, the rules of order, the, the, what is it called? The book of order book of, uh, proceed. Oh, can't direct, remember the Westminster worship. directory of worship, right? There you yes. Go. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> See, uh, we're in the series C. So we just have the Westminster confession. If I were, That's right. <laughs> if I were a PCA guy, I would have known that, but the fact that it doesn't mention that, and it's very detailed in everything you have to do for worship, but doesn't mention that at all. I thought that was a really good point that you yeah, made. Thank you. Um, so we do see a growing number of people wanting to practice head coverings in the church today. I think uh, there's there's a pastoral reason for it. I think there are reasons that it's happening. You know, if you go back 20 years ago, aside from Amish, Mennonites, German Baptist, people who already cover all the time, uh, I would occasionally run into a family where the wife is covering. Not common, though. I'm seeing it more and more now, especially among young people. So 20-something newlyweds, really interested in head covering. Pastorally speaking, what do you think is the reason for that? What's driving that interest? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, in my estimation, I think a lot of it is you've got younger families who love the Lord and who are wanting to obey the Bible. And they are coming into deeper truths uh, that they didn't have growing up. They're coming into Reformed theology for the first time. Uh, it's a new thing for them, perhaps. Um, and whenever you're, you know, on that trajectory, um, it's a very natural question to ask, what else am I missing? Right. What, what else What hmm. else is, is wrong with society? And so then when they dig in and they see this passage, they see the historical uh, arguments and everything right uh, to them it's like oh well well this this only faded away because of the rise of feminism um you know wives wanting to uh disrespect their husbands uh, uh women wanting to uh, be more immodest in society and so they see it i think as um as a kickback against all of that right like we're reclaiming the culture uh, we're reclaiming, you know, our submission to our husbands. Um, uh, we're we're wanting to be modest, uh, right. you know, and things like that. And so, as far as the heart is concerned, I think, you know, we should say, well, that that's a good intention uh, right. that you want to follow the Lord. You you if this is a law, right? Uh, we should be obeying it. And so, I see your heart there that you want to do that. Um, and so, as far as it goes, that is uh, a good thing. Um, however, it all boils down to 
what does the Bible actually say? What, what does the exegesis actually reveal? And if it's none of those things, then what other reason is there to be doing it? Right. Um, any value they attach to it is just going to be subjective uh, and man-made, right? And so to say, oh, this is what we should be doing, and then you make it a matter of obedience to Scripture, people aren't going to respond favorably to that. Right. You know? Well, and I think that's one of, as a pastor, that's one of my biggest areas of concern. Uh, if if someone wants to wear a head covering because they feel like that's, you know, showing submission to the husband, and we live in a time when the roles of men and women are under assault like never before, you know, the trans confusion and the LGBT agenda is everywhere. Uh, I can understand people wanting to say, well, we're going to, in a very visible way, rebel against that. And if someone wants to do that, I don't, you know, I don't have a personal gut reaction against that. But as you said, the problem is if you're doing it, it's because you believe God has commanded it in scripture, Absolutely. which also yes. necessarily logically implies whether you've worked it out in your mind or not necessarily implies that those who aren't doing it are in disobedience to God. And that's, that's right. concerning. That's where the concern comes for me is that Absolutely. this could I, sow I, division. Yeah, I, I totally do. I totally agree. Uh, I know of situations where where that has happened, you know, uh, even maybe unintentionally, right. uh, you know, uh, head covers will say, oh, no, we're not trying to be, um, you know, uh, divisive over this. Uh, we're not trying to be right. evangelists about it. Uh, but actually wearing it is itself sending a message, um, you know, and now I think it's totally fine. It's not a sin. For right. women to wear wear coverings, and and I think they can do so for style, uh, and fashion, uh, and all of that. But pastorally, there is an issue if you're doing it because you think it's a biblical command. Uh, right. That does lead to some problematic areas, and so um, I would say, you know, one thing I've noticed uh, as far as you know this kind of growing trend. Um, I do see in a lot of the, what I call podcast culture, mm. uh, you know, there's a lot of podcasts right now going on about, you know, how to be a traditional wife. Uh, and, and a lot of them are promoting head covering uh, and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, what I'm concerned though, is that people are listening to these podcasts. They're being convinced of a new position and starting to practice it without ever going to their local pastor. Oh, that's a good point. And and asking their local pastor, hey, what's what's your wisdom on this? I I see that your your wife's not a coverer. I see that the church is not a, co a covering church. Um, help me understand why. Right. Um, and I know of situations where that didn't happen. You know, where people they started adopting the practice without ever going to uh, their leadership uh, to get their take on it. And so that that is disturbing because it kind of uh, could potentially lead to, um, you know, showing signs of disrespect of the local, the local church. Um, and so we want to, we want to focus on that rather than, Hey, you know, get all of your spiritual nourishment from these podcasters, right. uh, you know, elsewhere, uh, not that it's wrong to have a podcast and do interviews and stuff like that, but oh, always, to be, <laughs> always, always, always to be tempered and balanced, right. uh, with submission to your, uh, local church and their their positions on it. Right. So in, in other words, it would be bad to try to 
make sure a wife is showing submission to her husband by weakening the family's submission to their elders in the church. In essence, right? I I think because it's not real. That's not really showing submission. If you're separating yourself from your church leadership and saying, we're not going to submit to them, but honey, I want you to submit to me because I'm your husband. And that's a, that's a problem, right? And and let me say at the end, there's no, there's no disagreement that we, we should find ways to, to push back against uh, the culture uh, to push back against the, you know, uh, radical feminism and, and all that type of stuff. Um, the question though is, 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 is this how to do it? Um, if it's not coming from a, from a biblical principle that's certain, then we can't say that that's the way. Right. Um, no, we kick back against it by being faithful in our churches, uh, faithful in our families. And, uh, you don't need to wave a banner, uh, for that to be known. Um, live your, live your life quietly and peaceably and, uh, God will take care of the rest. Right. Well, Adam, thank you for your time. We're about out of time here, but I really have enjoyed this conversation. I feel like we've only sort of scratched the surface. Uh, For those of you who are listening and watching, I'm going to put the link to Adam's articles on Kyperion.com in the description so you can read those, uh, get a little more of the argument, go a little bit deeper. But yeah, thank you for being here, Adam. This has been fun. This has been a pleasure, Rick. Thank you so much and blessings to you. 